Amen. We are taking a break from Zechariah for a few weeks. The Lord had laid this message on my heart, call on the name of the Lord. And so we're uh, going to finish up where we started last couple weeks ago. If nothing else, may 2022 be the year that we called on the name of the Lord. Let that be our personal endeavor, a New Year's resolution, if you will, that like no other time in our walk with God, are we going to call on the Lord like 2022? This is the year that we call on the Lord as, a, as individuals and especially as a church. And so what does that mean to call on the name of the Lord? Well, to call on the name of the Lord means to declare his name, to summon his name, to invite his name, to read his name aloud, to be called by his name, to invoke his name, and to be known by his name. It is a practice of worship proclamation and prayer in the name of the Lord. And there's an appointed time to call on the name of the Lord, and I believe that time is now. We saw that there were many epic battles of the ages in the Bible, and one of those battles was a time when Elijah the prophet called on the name of the Lord in 1 Kings 18, verse 20. Let's read. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. And then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. And let them cut it to pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then you will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. And so King Ahab summoned the people and the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel for the contest of the ages. Now Mount Carmel, we learned is near the valley of Armageddon. And we've heard that term representing the end times. And Armageddon is the location of the last great battle in human history. And this day is coming because it's prophesied in the Bible. And so what should we do? The first point we introduced a few weeks ago is this. Number one, as the end draws near, call on the name of the Lord. We are living in unprecedented times. I mean, all of us have been affected by what's going on in the world And so surely we recognize that these are the signs of the times. Jesus is coming back soon. And so knowing that, we need to call on the name of the Lord. He's coming soon. As the end draws near, we need to call on the name of the Lord. These are the last days. And more and more it is evident to us. And so we need to be calling on the name of the Lord. And so Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions. You see, Elijah challenged the people to choose between worshiping God, the one true God, or worshiping Baal, which was just a false god, just an idol. And so the problem was Israel couldn't make up their minds. And so they were trying to worship both. They were trying to worship Baal, and they were also trying to worship the one true God. But God has said in his commandments that he'll have no other gods before him. It's either God all the way or not at all. And so they were trying to do both. They were trying to worship God, 
but they were also trying to serve idols. And as a result, they were wavering back and forth. And so the second point I shared a few weeks ago is this. When you are wavering, call on the name of the Lord. You see, if we're honest, we all waver at times. We waver between two opinions. We doubt, we struggle with making a right decision. I know that challenge very firsthand. And so sometimes we dance around the real issues. We hobble, we halt, and we limp between two opinions because that's what the word waver means. It means to dance, to bounce on one leg or the other, to vacillate, to sit on the fence, whatever it may be. And we know in Revelation, God had told us either be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. Don't waver. Sometimes, in fact, not only do we waver, but our hearts are divided. And so number three, when your heart is divided, call on the name of the Lord. The Bible speaks multiple times about the danger of having a divided heart. We need to search our heart. Is, is it divided? Is, is our heart conflicted? Or is our heart fully belong to God? Or are we, are we worshiping idols and God at the same time? Now we don't worship things made of stone and metal, but the Bible says that greed is idolatry and certainly money and possessions can be idols in our lives. People can be idols in our lives. And so we have to make, search our hearts. Is it divided in any way? Are we conflicted? Are we vacillating? And so the Bible tells us that we are to be, be of one mind and one spirit and one heart. We can all feel uncertain. And we all have doubts at times. And so what we need to do when we have those doubts is go to the Lord. We need to call on the name of the Lord until those doubts go away. We all struggle with doubts. We all have decisions we've had to make. We've been thrust into a world that we weren't prepared for with all this COVID and the craziness that's going on in our, our economy and the division in our nation. And so what we need to do is go to the Lord to find the answers. We need to go to God's word to find the answers. I'm telling you, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, the Bible says, and it will divide those things out of our life. It'll show us where we're, our heart is divided. And so it's like never before, we need to call on the name of the Lord. You have doubts? Are you vacillating? Are you struggling? Then press into God. Press into his word like never before. And this is where we left off a couple weeks ago. That was all review. And so now let's get into the rest of the message. And so Elijah said, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. You see, Elijah was greatly outnumbered. Not only were there 450 prophets of Baal, Asherah also had a bunch of prophets as well. And so he was vastly outnumbered. Here he is, just one guy against all these hundreds of other prophets. They were false prophets, but they, they were seen by the people as possibly true because their hearts were divided. And so Elijah was outnumbered. And as a result, he felt alone in this conflict. It's interesting because Elijah mentioned several times, all these other prophets and I'm the only one left. 
everybody's against me. He had a woe is me mentality because the odds were totally against him. And sometimes it's easy for us when we feel alone to start feeling sorry for ourselves and have a woe is me mentality. And Elijah was right there. It was, he, he felt totally outnumbered and outgunned and outprofited it with all these other prophets. And, it, you know, has it ever seemed to you like no one cares? Maybe you're going through something and it's tearing your life apart and, and you feel alone because that's what the enemy will try to do. He, will, he wants us to feel outnumbered. He wants to discourage us. He wants us to see that it's, it's just us going through this. And there are times where people just don't understand. We have to realize that. Not everybody understands what you're going through. But there is somebody out there that always understands, and that is God. Because there are times we feel like nobody understands this, and is God even there? And so we need to reassure ourselves. Sometimes we got to just take a hold of our own lives and say, you know what? You're not going to be discouraged. Your heart's not going to be divided. It may, the, the odds are against you. Maybe you've received a report from the doctor that is, that is very serious. Or maybe you have a financial challenge that seems impossible. You may need a miracle because there's nothing else that will work. I'm telling you, that's a great place to be. God always loves thinning things out so we will know that it's God that comes through for us. And so if you feel outnumbered, if you feel like Elijah, Number four, when, we, when you feel all alone, call on the name of the Lord. If you feel like you're going through something and no one else understands, if you're going through a challenge in your life and you wonder if anyone cares, you wonder if, if your family cares or your friends cares, I'm telling you, there's always at least one who cares, and that is God. And that's why it says in his word to cast our cares on the Lord because he cares for us. He cares for us. We can never let the doubt of the evil one, the whispers of Satan speak to our mind that we are alone and that God doesn't care. With God, we are never truly alone. He will never leave us or forsake us. Now we can't just go by our feelings our emotions, because those feelings of loneliness or, or being isolated and alone, they're real. But that doesn't mean it has to control us. We have to have faith. Faith overrides fear. Faith overcomes doubt. And so if you feel alone, if you feel divided, this is a time where we must rise up in our faith, quote God's word, and stand on his truth. You see, we can fixate on the 450. Elijah was fixated on them. He goes, look at them, 450 against one. Baal has 450 prophets. I'm the only one left. And so too often we can start to fixate on the negative. We begin to focus on our problems. We begin to focus on the things around us. And we begin to focus on the people that are against us instead of Realizing how many are for us, especially God. And so Elijah kept saying this, I'm the only one left, I'm the only one left, I'm the only one left. And finally, 
God had enough. Elijah kept saying it, even after a great victory, he kept saying, I'm the only one left. And so God had enough. And he said these words to Elijah. Look at 1 Kings 19, verse 14. Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. Harry says it again. And now they're trying to kill me too. Drop down to verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, verse 18, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. You are never the only one left. You may feel like it. You may feel like you're the last Christian on planet Earth, but you are never fully alone. The Lord always reserves a remnant for himself. No matter where in the world, there are, there are a remnant of believers that are faithful to God. In the darkest place of North Korea, there are believers. In the most dangerous places in the world, there is a remnant. God reserves for himself a remnant. He always has a remnant, a group of people that are faithful and loyal and are still holding on. Even in the great tribulation, he will have a remnant of people who have turned their hearts toward God. God will always have a remnant. We see this mentioned in Romans 11, verse 2. Speaking of the people of Israel, the Jewish people, God has not forsaken them. Verse 2, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? There's Elijah mentioned in the New Testament. How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left. There it is again. Woe is me. And they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Verse 5, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Again, this was speaking of God's people. The Jewish people are still God's people. But it also speaks to us today as Gentile believers. God always has a remnant He always has a group of people that are still faithful. Don't be discouraged. Whether it's on your job or in your home or out and about in the world, God has remnants everywhere. He's got these groups of faithful people all over the place. Be encouraged. And if you need encouragement of other believers, pray that God will reveal the remnant to you, that he'll bring other believers in your path. Because God always has a remnant everywhere on this planet. And in fact, I want us to consider this. It may be even somewhat disrespectful to God when we say we're all alone. Now we may feel that way. And there's nothing wrong with sharing your feelings with God. That's what the book of Psalms is all about, pouring your heart out. But for us to really believe it, it's it's almost disrespectful that we would say to God, we're alone. And God rebuked Elijah and said, you're not the only one, buddy. 
Elijah, I've got 7,000 other people, 7,000 throughout Israel that have not bowed their knee to Baal and have not kissed his idol. And so I want to encourage you today that God has a remnant and you may be part of that righteous remnant that God has reserved for himself. And so we need to, we need to be careful of the words that come out of our mouths. And Elijah kept saying it, I'm all alone, I'm all alone. And so he ran and he ran and he ran until he really was all alone. Except even there, God was, was present. And so, yes, we may feel outnumbered. We may feel like the spiritual attack is against us and Satan is strong. How can we defeat him? But know this, you are never fully alone. You have to believe that. You have to speak it. You have to proclaim it. God, thank you that you are with me, that you'll never leave me or you'll never forsake me. God, you are faithful. I am part of your remnant. I am part of that righteous remnant that has been set aside and chosen by grace, not by my works. We haven't earned being part of the remnant. It's a remnant of grace. It's by his grace. And so know this, what you are facing may seem like an impossibility, but we need to believe God for the impossible. We need to profess that we, we are not alone, that not only is God with us, there are righteous believers. We have Christian friends and family members. Don't overlook them. You are never the only one left. God always reserves a remnant. And so Elijah said this to the prophets of Baal in our text, you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And then all the people said, what you say is good. So there it was. There was the rules of the contest. And no matter how hard they tried and the extreme lengths they went to, the prophets of Baal could not get their false God to answer by fire. And Baal was the fire god. Baal was the god of the weather. He was the god of lightning. And so here they worshipped supposedly the god of fire and the god of fire wouldn't answer them. And they cut themselves till they bled. They did everything they could. Notice how they're trying to do works of the flesh to get their god to reply. Now it was Elijah's turn. Not only did Elijah put the sacrifice on the altar, he had it covered with water three times, soaked in the wood, soaked in a little trench he built around it. He wanted them to really see, you know, we're going to believe God is truly going to answer by fire. And so he soaked the offering. He, he soaked the rocks. He soaked the trough. And everything was on the line. Remember the prophets of Baal, they'd done it for hours and got no answer. Now... It was on Elijah. Everyone was watching to see what would happen. I wonder, is it possible just knowing Elijah, if he thought, what if God really doesn't come through? I mean, here's this whole big setup and people and kings and prophets. Have you ever wondered, what if God doesn't come through this time? Now, you must admit he's come through for us many, many times. But that seed of doubt, what if, just what if he doesn't come through this time? Sometimes I chastise myself because I have 
miracles. I've written a journal of miracles that God has brought me through. And yet there are still some of those times I wonder, yeah, but what about this time? It's easy to have faith when no one's watching. It's more challenging when you are under the spotlight and you've stepped out in faith. You know, uh, I bought Jolene a car last year, a used car, and it's a nice car, but it's used. And so with any used car, it has quirks. And one of the quirks it has is sometimes the fuel door won't open. You know where you put the gas in? It's supposed to be just this little toggle thing. You press it and it's supposed to open. You press it again and it'll close. Well, the problem is sometimes you press it, it doesn't open. You press it, it doesn't open. You press it, press it, press it, press it, press it. It still doesn't open. And so we were in a quandary one time. We were going to drive a couple hours away, but we didn't have enough gas and the fuel filler door would not open. And so we, drew, we took a detour and we went to the dealership and wouldn't you know it, once we get to the dealership, I get the mechanic out there, I press on the filler door and it opens. And I've, I've been pressing on this thing, I've been digging my key in there, I've been trying to pry it open, everything I could to open this do stupid door and I wanted to show the mechanic that I'm not a nut. This thing will not open. And the first time I try it in the presence of the mechanic, the door opens. So frustrating. And so I left it open, went and filled up with gas. And then we get to my son's house and now it won't open again. And so I got my son, Jaden. He's very mechanically inclined. Didn't know this about him when he was growing up, but he's just very smart very mechanically minded. He can fix almost anything. He fixed our refrigerator. He fixed our washing machine and he fixed our dryer. I mean, it's, he's just a genius when it comes to fixing things. And so I told him, all right, Jaden, I need your help. This stupid door will not open. So get your tools and we come out and we walk out there and it's already open. I didn't even have to press on it. The stupid door was open and my son looks at me like I'm like the mechanic, you know, like I'm nuts. And so I wondered if Elijah felt that way, that when it was on the line, was God really going to answer by fire? I mean, he put all this, he'd set all this up. He soaked, he soaked the offering. He, here it is. This is it. Is this going to happen? And so this is what Elijah did when it was his turn. Now all the people are watching him. All the people of Israel are wondering, okay, the prophets of Baal didn't work. What about the one true God? And so here's what happened. 1 Kings 18, 36. At the time of the sacrifice, notice it was at the time of the evening sacrifice. It was the appointed time. It was the right time. Not just any time will do. It was the right time of sacrifice. The prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And the fire 
then the fire of the Lord fell. The fire fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. And when the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Isn't this awesome? I love this story. But I want you to understand, how could Elijah know the fire would fall? Notice that Elijah prayed to the Lord. I have done all these things at your command. It wasn't Elijah's idea to come up with this contest. He was only obeying the Lord's command. Sometimes... We set up a contest that God has nothing to do with it. Or we go into a battle when God doesn't want us to. Remember, Elijah had to do this before the Lord. And he said, God, I'm only doing what you commanded. He was only obeying. Wearsby's Bible commentary expounds on this. It says, everything that Elijah did was according to the word of the Lord including confronting the king and inviting him and the priests of Baal to a meeting on Mount Carmel. Ahab called Elijah the troublemaker in Israel, but it was really Ahab whose sin caused the problems in the land. Surely Ahab knew the terms of the covenant and understood that the blessings of the Lord depended on the obedience of the king and his people. The blessings of the Lord are dependent upon obedience. I've shared this multiple times. The reason Elijah had such confidence is because God had set up the contest. God had pulled this together and he knew that God would answer. And so we need to realize this. There's a key condition. Number five, we must obey when we call on the name of the Lord. When we call on the name of the Lord, he will answer us. And when he answers us, he'll give us direction. He will give us the right way to go. Been, Jolene and I have been sharing this verse with one another, just meditating on it. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's not in the notes. But trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. This is the key. Is for us to acknowledge the way of the Lord, to call on the name of the Lord. We must obey. If we're outnumbered, if it's impossible, call on the name of the Lord and then do what he says. Just call on his name. Trust in his word. A couple weeks ago, I introduced the story of when I was pastoring in Ojai and a bunch of us guys from the church played in a flag football league and us guys were all in our 30s and the 40s and we're trying to reclaim our past glory. Well, we won every game in that season until the last game of the season. And the only other undefeated team was comprised of teenagers from the high school football team. They were fresh out of high school football, playing varsity football. And they were far younger and faster and stronger than us. It was the young bucks versus the old geezers. And it was an epic battle of the ages. And how did this epic battle turn? We even played in the high school stadium. It was so awesome. I thought I could hear the roar of the crowd, but it was just my imagination. And so they were younger, faster, and stronger 
And so they pulled out ahead of us. But we were wiser. And so we didn't get riled up. We didn't doubt. We didn't get afraid just because we were losing. We stayed with our game plan. And then us old geezers began to pull ahead. And when we pulled ahead, the young bucks started turning on each other and button heads and getting mad. And the, the, better, the more we scored, the worse they got. And I'm telling you that in the end, the old geezers beat the young bucks. And your pastor may have scored a touchdown or two, I'm just saying. You see, you may be outnumbered, but the Bible says the race is not always to the swift. The battle is not always to the strong. Elijah was outnumbered 450 to 1, but God was the one. Notice how Elijah called on the name of the Lord. And notice that Elijah was obeying the Lord's command. Elijah did not set up this contest. God did. And Elijah prayed, I'm your servant. And I've done these things at your command. Obedience to the Lord's command is key to calling on the name of the Lord. I implore you, call on his name. Listen to what he says. He'll speak mostly to us through his word, through the Bible, and then obey it. Obey God's command. Because that is the key to calling on the name of the Lord. And here's another condition necessary. James 5, 17 and 18 in the Amplified Bible. Elijah was a human being with a nature such as we have, with feelings. We know he had feelings, affections, and a constitution like ours. He struggled. He doubted. He was like us. And he prayed earnestly for it not to rain, and no rain fell on the earth for three, three years and six months. Verse 18, and then he prayed again, and the heavens supplied rain, and the land produced its crops as usual. And so... We look at these people in the Bible and think we could never measure up. They're just like us. The, the difference was their level of faith. So many people in the Bible, they made mistakes. They were human. They sinned. Abraham lied about his wife. Isaac lied about his wife. And yet these great men were used by God. David made multiple mistakes. And so even Elijah he was human, and after this great victory on Mount Carmel, Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you, and he ran for his life. And he ran, and he ran, and he ran, and then he told the Lord, I just want to die. Here's this great prophet, this great man of God, and yet he was subject to feelings and struggles just like us. He wasn't perfect. He had his weaknesses. And if God can do it through Elijah... He can do it through you and me. And not only must we obey, we must pray a certain way. Number six, we must pray earnestly when we call on the name of the Lord. It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to pray earnestly. In fact, the word earnestly in the Greek is actually the same word mentioned twice for emphasis. And so it's pray. in fact, it can literally translate, Elijah prayed with prayer. We may think, duh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a figure of speech. It's a tool of speech in the Bible. When a word is mentioned twice, when it's doubled up, 
it's for emphasis. It's like the exclamation point. And so Elijah didn't just pray. He prayed with prayer. I like how the Message Bible translates it, James 5, 17. Elijah, for instance, human, just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain and it didn't. I like that. He prayed hard. We have to pray hard. Not, not just occasional prayers, soft prayers. We gotta pray hard. We gotta pray with prayer. He prayed earnestly. In the US, UBS New Testament handbook, it says this. Jumped a little bit out of, out of order. But the clause he prayed fervently is literally in prayer he prayed. This usage reflects the influence of the Hebrew idiom and its function is to intensify the force of the statement. The force of the clause may be rendered, he prayed earnestly, he prayed and prayed, he prayed constantly, or he prayed again and again. That's the kind of prayer we need to pray. And we, I was reminded again that it's, we have to remain faithful in prayer. It's not about the numbers. It's only two or three that are required. God did great things with just small numbers. It's not how many are in prayer, but how fervently we pray. And finally, my last point today is this. The fire will fall when we call on the name of the Lord. You see, the fire didn't fall until Elijah called on the name of his Lord. He prayed earnestly. There are times in the Bible when the fire fell, the fire of God. We see it in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Only 120 of them. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I challenge you in 2022 to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit fresh and anew. We need the fire to fall again. We need another Pentecost. We need another awakening, another revival. And so I encourage you to ask the Lord, baptize us in your Holy Spirit and fire. Jesus said that's why he came, to baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. The fire must fall, but the fire falls when we call on the name of the Lord, when we pray fervently, when we walk in obedience. The fire falls when we call on the name of the Lord. As the end draws near, let's call on the name of the Lord. If we're uncertain or wavering, call on his name. Because we cannot win these battles without the fire falling. Would you bow your heads with me? If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to give you a chance to do that today. I invite you to seek the Lord and to give your life to him. And so, if you want to accept Christ, just repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, I believe. I believe you're the Son of God. 
I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose from the dead. Dear Jesus, I receive. I receive your forgiveness. I receive the fire of your Holy Spirit. And I receive eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we want to encourage you to reach out to us, to contact the church, that same number to register as a visitor. And let me speak this blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.